Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. God, thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy and for your peace and for the ways in which you intersect our lives, the ways in which you reveal yourself to us, the ways in which you press in and let us know that not only that you love us, but that you are present, that you are here, and that you are always near. Father, we thank you for these things. And this morning, as we open up your word to to take a look at you, to help to understand you better, but also to draw nearer to you, Father, we pray that you would now open our hearts and our minds and our ears that we may see, hear, and know you better. It's in your son's name that we pray all of these things. Amen. When was the last time that you were struck with awe? The last time that you were struck with any sort of wonder? I remember the first time that I ever went to a Major League Baseball game. I, I, was, I was probably seven or eight years old, and as you approached the stadium, it was Wrigley Field, so that was pretty awesome because it's one of the oldest baseball stadiums in the country. I approached the stadium and saw this massive, massive building and thought, there's going to be a lot of people in there. But that's not what I was in awe of. It wasn't until we got in and made our way up the ramp, up the ramp, up the ramp, because it was the nosebleeds, because, you know, that's how we rolled. And you made your way to the tunnel, the tunnel that leads to the seats, that leads to the fields. And as I walked into that tunnel, there in front of me was this beautiful green field with this beautiful brown dirt and these immaculately painted white lines and bases. And there in front of me was Ryan Sandberg and Mark Grace. And I was in I'm a huge baseball fan, a huge baseball fan, and, and I had never, ever seen anything like that before except for on TV, and I was, my mouth dropped to the floor as I just sat there, and I was, looked, and my dad was kind of holding my hand standing next to me, and he, he could tell that this was a moment, and he just stopped and let me take it in, to soak it in and to be washed over with this sense of awe. The same thing happened about six years ago when Elliot was born. I was terrified, and we had on the birth plan, uh, father may pass out. Like, it was, it was to notify the doctors that, hey, this guy might not be able to handle this stuff so well. So, just in case, he might pass out, made sure there was a chair behind me. That was it, right? But she was born, and she came out, and... There she was, and I was like, this was in that? How did that come out of this? And oh my goodness, huh. And I just stared in awe of this child, of this new life that had been birthed and had been formed and now was in this world somehow. It was amazing. When we moved to Seattle a couple of years ago, I, we've, I've been around mountains, but I grew up in Illinois. The only thing that you have to be in awe of is the corn and the soybeans. And the soybeans are like this tall and the corn is like that tall. 
right? It, it, that, that's it. That's all you have to be in awe of. Like, every so often you get some really beautiful sunsets and some cotton candy clouds, and you're like, oh, this is kind of cool. This is but here, there are these things called mountains. And not just any kind of mountains, but, but snow-capped mountains that stay snow-capped for the whole year that are 15,000 feet high, and you can see all the way up to Mount Baker. And, and on certain days, you can not only see Rainier, but you can see St. Helens all the way down the way. And when you're flying through the air, and, and if you're on the right side of the plane, not necessarily your right, but the correct side of the plane, as you're flying, you can look out, and there's Rainier, there's St. Helens, there's Adams, there's Hood, and are those the three sisters down there? Like, oh my goodness, like you can just see for miles all of these mountains, this beauty, this wonder that somehow is this area, that is this city, because it is so green, and yet so beautiful with the mountains. And I find myself in awe of all of these things when we first moved here. But we get a bit stale in our awe, don't we? I still go to a lot of baseball games. I remember the first time that I went to Fenway Park. It was, it was about six years ago. I went to Fenway Park, and it's the oldest stadium in the country, and I thought for sure I, my, my jaw would drop. I would have the same moment that I had as a kid, but I walked into the stadium, and I was like, yeah, it's cool. It's a stadium. It's got the green monster, and there's David Ortiz, and there's Dustin Pedroia, and there's, you know, like, great, wonderful, awesome, yay. I wasn't in awe. Like, I, I had lost that sense of wonder about what was unfolding. Elliot's about to turn six. I don't have those same moments of awe every single moment of her life. A lot of times I find myself like, just shut up, child. You're driving me insane. And I want her to be quiet, and I want her to kind of move along and like, go, go do something in your room, and let me just sit here and read, or just let me sit here and watch SportsCenter, let, let me just watch the news, and just give me a moment of peace. The mountains, I see them now, and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of cool. I don't have that same sense of wonder, that same sense of awe. It's just kind of, gets a little stale as time goes along, right? Wonder requires this sensitivity to the things that are around us. Wonder requires this, this awareness of what is taking place and a sense of, 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 of just, oh. It, it pulls us out into this new way and this new way of seeing things. And the same is really true of God as well. It requires a sensitivity to what God is doing around us. Because God is always working. God is always doing something here and there around us, but we've lost that sense of awe and wonder, and I think we oftentimes just find ourselves a little bit stale in what it is that God does around us. One of my favorite writers and thinkers and rabbis is Abraham Joshua Heschel. And in his book, I Asked for Wonder, it's an anthology, he said, we dwell on the edge of mystery and ignore it, wasting our souls, risking our stake in God. Our mind has ceased to be sensitive 
to the wonder. God is always working around us, but we dwell on this edge of this mystery that is God and we ignore it because we've lost that sensitivity. We're actually wasting our souls and risking this stake that we have in this God that works all around us all the time because we've ceased to be sensitive to the wonder that is this God, this God of wonder, this God that should provoke all of this awe in us. We've, sense, we've ceased to be sensitive to this God. And it's not just us as individuals, right? It happens to us as a people, as a church, as a community. I think oftentimes churches can get really stale to the awe and to the wonder of God. And they do a lot of different things to try and reinvigorate it, right? Like, like, what if we did this? This would work. This would certainly create a new sense of awe and wonder, but, but it falls flat. And it, and it doesn't quite uh, evoke the sense of this big, majestic, grand God that you would hope. I think oftentimes it's because we don't necessarily look outward enough. As, as churches, we don't necessarily look outward enough to, to draw in new people that are new to the faith, that are experiencing God for the first time. The first time that I took Elliot to a baseball game, well, okay, like the seventh time, because the first time she couldn't remember because it, it was Fenway Park, and she was like three months old. The second time, she was like six months old, and it was another, and then the third, fourth, fifth. I, we went to a lot of baseball games when she was a baby because she was free. She was free. It was wonderful. But the first time that she could probably understand a baseball game, like that this was happening, was actually here at Safeco Field. It brought her in, and she was just like, whoa. And I experienced that awe through her eyes for the first time again. The same is true of like the mountains. We go to see waterfalls. We, we go and hike at Snoqualmie or we went up to Twin Falls. We've done those, those two hikes in the past few months. And every time she sees it, she's like, wow. I want to experience that awe again. That, that newness, that freshness that she experiences. I get to experience it through her eyes as she explains and sees and understands something for the first time. And that's what's so beautiful about people that are experiencing faith for the first time is when they come into our midst, when they come into our community and they're experiencing this, this beautiful and this provocative and profound God that evokes all of this emotion, all of this mystery as they look at God and they go, wow, the church has changed. We as a people are changed because this wonder, we get to experience it once again. We forget what it was like, because I think we get too busy trying to dissect this God, try to pick apart this God, to see who he is and how he works in all of these different ways. We approach him like a scientist. We, we, we take the scalpel and we precisely cut him open and flay him in order to see how he works in all of the systems and structures and the way in which he is, but we miss the fact that all of those things together create this wonder and this beauty and this awe all around us. 
We've turned God into a theological ideation. This God that is just like, ah, he's this thing. That's why I'm so, so intrigued with this woman called Mary Magdalene. In John chapter 20, she makes her way to the burial site, the tomb where Jesus has been laid. And she walks up to the tomb and notices that the stone has been rolled away and that this Jesus whom she had followed, whom she had loved, whom she had known for three and a half years, had been crucified and was now laid buried in this tomb. And she approaches it and notices that the stone has been rolled away and his body is gone. And she begins to weep and she begins to cry and she is just forlorn at what has happened. That this Jesus whom she came to visit is no longer there. Not here. And she notices a gardener. Somebody who's there to tend the gravesite, tend the area, tend the garden that is around this tomb. And this gardener says, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? She says, sir, I, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Where'd you put him? And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so Mary Magdalene dropped everything that she had and she bolted out of the garden to meet up with the other disciples and the words out of her mouth, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. As if for the first time, Again, I have seen him. This, this Jesus whom we have all loved, this Jesus whom we have followed and given everything that we possibly could to. We have devoted our lives to him for the past three and a half years and endured scorn and have endured pain and have endured hardship through the midst of this. I don't know how to say it, guys, but he's back. I have seen the Lord. And of course, they're men. I don't necessarily believe her. <laughs> like, what? I don't think so. I think you're crazy. You've lost your mind. Gosh, she's crazy. It's okay. She's a little emotional. Right? Because she was probably still crying. Because she had been wrapped up in the awe and the wonder of what this resurrection was. Of what this resurrection means. Of what that resurrection had to do with her and the life that she had lived and was living now and will live into the future. This Jesus enraptured her with this sense of awe and the only thing that she could say was, I have seen the Lord. That'll bring you back to wonder. That'll bring you back to wonder. I, I can imagine that, that as the men got over the shock of what was taking place there, that they would begin to ask a little bit of question. Right? That, that their questions were like, well, what exactly did you see? Like, what was this? Well, I thought he was the gardener. <laughs> he, he didn't look the same. He looks different now. I can't explain it, but, but I saw the holes in his hands and his feet. Like, he looked like the Jesus that we all knew, but different. It was something as if I had never seen before. 
She was explaining to them this Jesus for the first time. And when the disciples actually saw him for the first time, they too saw this new thing. This new sense of wonder had had surrounded them, had grabbed them, had grabbed a hold of their heart and their minds, and they were like, oh, well, this is different. This is new. We're seeing Jesus again as if for the first time time. This is what Jesus does if we become sensitive to the wonder, if we allow our minds and our hearts to connect together and push us forward into the wonder that is this God. Heschel said this on his deathbed. It was a prayer of thanks. He said, I did not ask for success. I asked for wonder. And you gave it to me. This is what is reported that that Heschel said on his deathbed. And what's so beautiful about this quote is that this is a prayer of thanks. He's he's saying, thank you, God. All I ever asked for you, all I ever asked from you was wonder. That I would be enraptured by this sense of wonder of you and for you and you gave it to me. What's so beautiful about this is that this presupposes that this was the prayer for his life. That throughout the course of his life, he prayed on multiple occasions, God, give me wonder. Show me wonder. Show me the bigness of you, the grandness of you, the majesty of you. That's all I want to see. I imagine that this is, in some respects, the same prayer that Moses prayed in Genesis 33 when he asks to see the face of God as he stands upon Mount Sinai. After he has received the tablets, the Ten Commandments, God, show me your face. Show me your wonder. That's exactly what he does. God says, well, you couldn't handle it, so let me tuck you back here behind the cleft of this rock. And you'll see the train of my glory. Because the wonder that I have to show you, you can't handle it. But you can handle some. And as you handle that some, you will see more and more and more and more as your life goes on. But we have to pray for it. We have to ask for it. We have to ask God, God, show me your wonder. I don't want success. I want wonder. I want to be enraptured by you and the glory and the goodness of who you are. I think that's why we need, as a church, and as a community, as a people, that's why we need poets. That's why we need artists in our midst. Because they create out of nothing beautiful, beautiful pictures and words and images of the things that we can't necessarily grasp. They use the majesty of words and the bigness of words and the fullness of words to create a bigger and larger picture of who this God is. And we find ourselves stepping into that more and more and more. That's why artists are so important in the church. That's why for generations and centuries, artists were front and center in creating pictorial images Yeah, sure, it was also because the literacy rate was really, really low, and the church held on to the Bible and didn't really let people read the Bible and understand and experience this God all on their own. That is all very true. But 
Art has played a prominent role for so long, painting these beautiful pictures of images of Scripture, of Thomas seeing Jesus resurrected for the first time, of, of the disciples in the Last Supper sitting around this Jesus, having a conversation as if they have no idea what is about to happen. Images of, of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying and weeping over the decisions that he was about to make. Pictures of the tomb that is empty and the stone rolled away as you get to see the emotion on the people's face as they walk up to it for the first time. All of these images of awe and wonder that surround the story of God around us. This is why we need artists in our midst. I, I, I like this quote by President uh, Ford back in the day. He said, we have enough people who tell it like it is. Now we need a few, or now we could use a few, who tell us like it can be. We've got enough people out there just telling us, like, this is, this is how it is, right? Like, this is, I'm, I'm just going to be bold, and I'm going to tell you how it is. I'm going to tell you how I see it, right? That's all Facebook is. <laughs> Right? <laughs> That's all Twitter is. Like, it's all these people that are telling you, like, no, this is like it. This is, this is, this is how it is. Instead of helping us dream and fall into this wonder of who God is, about what is possible, about what is beyond us in this moment, about who we can be as a people, following this God, creating this sense of change and wonder and amazement around us. Got enough people to tell it like it is. We could use a few that could tell it, tell us how it could be. We're a new church, right? We've been around for a few months now. Three months. <laughs> Three months. That's it, right? <laughs> Thank you, Kim William. <laughs> Three months. And we've, we've kind of started to get our legs about us. We're kind of starting to figure some things out about who we are and about where we're going and where we're moving and how we're shaking things out. We're, we're, we're figuring these things out as we go. We're kind of flying the, building the plane as we fly it in a lot of respects. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I want us to do is to never lose the sense of wonder of who this God is, about how he has changed our lives and how he can change the lives of others that are around us. How he draws us in, how he pulls us in, and how he sets us forth to do new and wonderful things in this world around us. The church is here to be those kinds of people. People that tell the world and show the world how things could be. It's, it's, it's not about, hey, this is all the bad things that are going on in the world. It's saying, no, 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 no. This is how it's really supposed to be. Let's work towards that. Let's be the people of hope. Let's be the people of change. Let's be the church that sets ourselves forward into this because of the God of wonder who shows us and continues to show us how it should and can be. This week, I want us to engage in wonder. I, I know that's kind of, yay, it's in the ether, right? Like, it's just, ah, I want to be this person of wonder, yay, right? Like, it's just kind of out there, and it's kind of hard to grapple with, and it's kind of hard to understand, and how do you recapture that sense of wonder? But that's what I want us to do. I want us to recapture that sense of wonder. 
on the unitedchurch.live page, when you go into the readings and scripture stuff, there's that poem. There's that poem. Grab that. Maybe sit in that poem. Maybe reflect on that poem and allow the wonder that is there to kind of pull us in. Or maybe spend some time with Rilke, uh, Rainier Maria Rilke, and, and his poetry of how he explains who this God is, or, or, or Rumi, or, or other poets from ancient past sit with them, and the ways in which they describe and invoke this God that is around us sit in their wonder and allow what they are experiencing, what they are feeling, what they are seeing about this God to well up in us something new, that we can see this God in a new way and set ourselves forward. So I want us to spend some time in that this week. Take some time to just sit and wonder, to ruminate, to think about this God. Spend some time in prayer in that space as well. And may Heschel's prayer be our prayer. God, I ask for wonder. That's all I want. I want to be in wonder and in awe of you. That's why I like communion so much. Because I, I really do believe and think that communion, this, this thing, it's not my coffee cup, this thing, this bread and this juice that is right here, actually has profound implications for us. There's a mystery that sits in here, the body and the blood of Christ. There's a mystery in this that, that is impossible to explain, but something that we can engage in every single week. It's an opportunity for us to remember that not only was Christ's body broken and battered and bruised for us, but that, it was, that his blood was also shed for us, that we may have life. That somehow this death of Jesus, this burial of Jesus, this resurrection of Jesus, this ascension of Jesus is the gospel. And it's all somehow wrapped up in this moment that we all get to experience and participate in every single week. I think sometimes we can become stale to the moment, stale to the act, stale to the thing. And so this morning, as we come forward to take the bread and the juice, I want us to pray for wonder, to pray for wonder. As you sit there and prepare yourselves for this act of communion, pray for wonder. And then when you're ready, come forward and rip off a chunk of the bread and dip it in the juice and take it back to your seats. And then together, as a community, we'll participate in this act of communion together. This does not have to be for you, and that's okay. Communion is an opportunity for those that have said, yes, this Jesus is my Jesus, to come forward and participate in that. And if you're not ready for that, that's okay. There'll be people up and moving and walking about, and that's okay. <laughs> Nobody will notice. It's okay, I promise. Uh, but maybe, maybe in this time, if this isn't for you, what you can do is you can sit and just ask this God. Maybe it's the first time. God, show me this wonder. Show me this wonder of who you are. Just let that be your prayer. So when you're ready, please come. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives 
to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.